Megan McCain has entered the chat. Welcome back to Megan McCain has entered the chat with me, Megan McCain. We have two amazing guests today. We have Dorinda Medley, who really needs no introduction from the Real Housewives of New York City. And then we have former speaker Kevin McCarthy coming on to talk about his retirement and um, time in Congress. So that's our show today. Thank you all so much. I hope you enjoy it. My first guest needs absolutely no introduction. She is a queen, an icon, an absolute legend, the new star of Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Legacy, which premieres December 14th. Um, she is the household leader of Bluestone Manor with a new bourbon line called Bluestone Manor Bourbon, and she is the host of the Make It Nice with Dorinda Medley radio show Thursdays from 11 to noon on Radio Andy, the one, the only, the icon, Dorinda Medley. Thank you so much for coming on today. What an introduction. Wow. This is, uh, <laughs> we love I you. Thank you so much. And I love you. I'm so excited to be on today. I, I'm actually doing the handheld because I couldn't figure out how to download yet another app for these damn podcasts. I mean, I must have 22,000 apps just for all the different podcasts, everyone. I'm technologically illiterate, which is why we're in an actual studio, because I was like, I can't do this in my house at all. Yes. You know, that's why I love SiriusXM, because I love anything old school. Same. And I love anything that about, that requires that you make an effort. So for me <laughs> to go to SiriusXM at 1221 Broadway and make take that walk across Radio City, by the time I get through those doors, I am like, that's right, bitch, I'm here <laughs> at SiriusXM, ready to kill it. It does evolve all that and Sirius kind of XM is beautiful studios so let's talk about that what made you want to do that radio show and join Radio Andy and again an hour of content a week is no joke why are you doing it and are you enjoying it Megan I, I love radio I wish I'd done it early in my career. It just, you know, and it's been such a, you know, when Andy came to me and, you know, it's so funny because I had the radio show for a little bit before COVID and then everything happened and, you know, I kind of, COVID happened and then, of course, I was no longer on the Housewives. I don't know what to call it anymore because the world is offended when I call it pause, even though Andy called it pause, called me five, I wasn't getting a paycheck, let's put it that way. Um and then I, after COVID ended, I said, Andy, I want to be back on. He said, okay, no problem. You know, Andy's pretty amenable with me. Mm-hmm. He's very, you know, and we always stayed in contact and there was no hard feelings there because I don't believe in that kind of stuff. I think business is business. But um, I I loved it because, you know, I, I said to, to everyone at Sirius, I said, I don't want to do the normal show where I bash housewives. I, I'd spent two years sort of, not removing, but recreating myself because, you know, when you're in housewife's world, I think in order to be a good and authentic housewife, you have to eat it, drink it, sleep it, believe Mm -hmm. in it. So, you know, every, and it's, it's annoying for other people because you're most comfortable in the housewife zoo. That's why we all kind of hang out together because we we have our own language, Uh right? And you find yourself talking about it probably too much. I remember Hannah would be like, can we not talk about housewives? I'm like, I don't know how not to talk about housewives, okay? Because I'm in it. It's like being part of the NFL. Oh, so I wanted to do, you know, you're in the NFL. We got to win this game. It's it's training season. It's season. It's, you know what I mean? Yes. And I, what I wanted to do on Sirius XM after spending some time on my own and going through COVID and being a Blue Matter and writing my book, Make It Nice, and 
sort of kind of falling back in love with myself a little more and building my my confidence back up, dare I say, because I'd never been let go of a job before in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I well, really, not to be sound conceited, I consider myself so, like, if there was an employee of the month, anywhere friendlies, redlining, I got it. Like, well, I'm that person. I think part of what's happening, too, is, and I personally just watched the first three episodes of Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Legacy, which, again, premieres December 14th. I loved it. I think it is exactly what Bravo fans need right now. I have really missed you in particular, but some of the other women as well, like Luann, on my screens. I think in this time of chaos and uncertainty, there's something very comforting about having these women that we have gone through so much with, seen so many incarnations of their lives. Um, I think it's a really important show. I wish that real they would bring back Real Housewives of New York Legacy just period because again I'm just feel like I'm not done with these stories um what was it like to film this second legacy on top of the Bluestone Manor one um that you did in well, the Well it was our first legacy you know mm-hmm. you got to remember I left in season 12 and then season 13 they kind of, that was sort of the last season for the New York Housewives as we know it so none of us I and I find that Abusing because everyone keeps talking about you and I'm positive. Well, everybody's on pause or fired right now. So this, let's just all, you know, hop in. Well, can I say you are on pause because you were, you're brought back. You're still hosting shows. Yeah. I mean, and I did do Ultimate Girls Trip right at like six, yeah. six months later. I'm not just saying this. It's, it's just like riding a bike. I mean, the thing is, you have to understand, beside really Kristen for me, and I even know, you got to remember, I even know Kelly for years because Kelly, I knew through my first boyfriend after I got divorced from Hannah's father. I used to meet her all the time at the police building and she's another New York woman. I know it sounds weird to people if you don't live in New York, but there was in the 90s and things just the New York gals. And we all just knew each other by osmosis, mm-hmm. you know, and developed these friendships. It's like you've never left. I, I can't tell you. We just know we have so much history together that the references are endless. And we can go there with each other knowing that it's going to be okay. You know, when we almost know what we can go. And that's why when it's been really bad, it's because we maybe went too far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because we got to remember, we watched our kids grow up together. We watched each other get divorced, get remarried, go to funerals. I mean, we've been through it all. I mean, you know, that's why I, I, I know you're not going to believe I'm going to say this, but that's why I really think Jill should have been there because she has history with us. I wish we had a couple more. I would have. I actually was thinking that that six was not enough when I was watching no. it. You know, the feminist writer Roxane Gay uh, makes the argument that Real Housewives are sort of the pinnacle of feminism because it shows women in our 360 degree formality, meaning like we are women are complicated. We are messy. We sometimes we drink too much. Sometimes we say the wrong thing. We age. We have tragedy. All these things, and that. Uh, the Real Housewives really encompasses like true feminism. And I have always found that when I've been watching. And I think um, with Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Legacy, you see so many of the women like Kelly Ben Simone's journey was really interesting to watch because she seems very reflective of someone who has really been branded by the media as crazy. Um, what was it like for you to sort of be reflective after this pause with these women that you have gone through so much with? It was it was well, you could see that we've all maintained our friendships, regardless of on the TV, off the TV, and that you know you learn a lot. It's I'm not going to lie to you. Being on the Housewives 
during the time we run. It's intense. And, you know, you you are, uh, I, it's so funny because you use the word feminism. I always use the word brave. I think you have to be quite brave to put yourself out there. And if I, I believe, and, you know, for the good of it or the bad of it, you can't hide things. So if mm-hmm. you're having a bad season, you're having a bad season. And people have bad seasons in their life. And I even reflectively of course you look back and you say I shouldn't have done this I shouldn't have done that but at that time that's what I was going through and that was my truth so I didn't know any other way to do it you Mm -hmm. know what I mean and you know a lot of the things that I was sort of not in agreement with came true yes yes and I am really much of you know here's the thing about Dorinda Menthe and this is why you either love me or don't like me I tell it like I did. I tell it like it is, you know, and I try to be fair. I really do. I am excitable. I will call, call people out, but I'm not unfair. And I'm tried and I'm usually pretty intuitive. Mm-hmm. You are. And I'm not someone that you can pull bullshit over. I just don't. I'm not a bullshitter. That's why I'm not great at cocktail parties. People have a very funny vision of me because they think that I'm always out and I'm with a thousand people. Now, I'm actually terrible at big events. I'm terrible at like endless cocktail parties. I'm very good one-on-one. I'm very good. I love being with my family. I love being on my own, probably mm-hmm. a little too much. So I have to watch that very carefully because I can spend two weeks at Bluestone Manor perfectly happy. Well, I think you're also the, you have become this like sort of icon of hosting in the same way of like a Martha Stewart, because, you know, you had this moment where you said, I make it nice and we've seen your home and you, you know, decorate and cook and you're just, you know, like one of these people that really goes all out that I aspire to. And I want to know, like in this holiday season right now, when people are, you know, looking at you, looking at your work, looking at your house, what's like the biggest advice you would give people for just making a holiday nice as you do right now? Because even for me, I I talk about this all the time. Yeah, go ahead. I talk about this to people. I talk. I talk about it when I'm entertaining and stuff. And I just love. And it's it's amazing. It's such a. I always am so amazed by how many people are interested in it. Here's the thing about entertaining, and here's the thing about decorating, and here's the thing about anything you do. Don't worry about it too much. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You know, people just want to be together. And I promise you, like I always say, I can make as beautiful and fun dinner party for the same group of people. I can either put down the Hermes plates or I can put down the plastic plates I got at Marshall's. It's the effort that goes into it, right? And don't, you don't have to, I overdo it because I love to overdo everything in my life. Uh Ask Hannah. And it's like, it's never enough with you. I'm just an overdoer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, it just, you just enjoy it. Do it. Don't worry about it being perfect. And, and, and just, I always say everything happens in the back kitchen, you know, get everything done. You can get done, make it. I'm not cooking in the kitchen when people come to visit. It's just an, it's a, it's a facade in the symphony. Mm-hmm. All the lasagnas are made beforehand. All the salads are made beforehand. I don't have endless stuff. I put it, I serve everything buffet style. I have my playlist done. I have my table set. And, you know, and I have a lot of good liquor. So by the time <laughs> people get here and I say welcome, you've already created the environment and people will appreciate your effort. And they love to be together. That's the most important thing. Do anything. And if that's one Christmas tree, great. Mm -hmm. If that's one Christmas tree and a pizza party, that's great. Just 
do what you enjoy and, and, and throw yourself. There are no mistakes. Yeah. They're just not when it comes to doing things with a good heart. There are no mistakes. I love that. Even if you just one Christmas tree and one pizza, that is great advice. Um, You also have been through, I think one of the reasons why so many women relate to you and look up to you is that you have been through tragedy and you're open about it. You lost your husband, Richard. Um, you know, you're a widow. You have navigated a lot of pop culture moments that are very tumultuous. The holidays can be very triggering for people who have lost loved ones. What uh-huh. advice would you give to people who, even for me, I lost my dad five years ago to brain cancer and, you know, the holidays have never completely felt the same. What advice would you give people? with? with well, it's, it's interesting because Richard died in November, so it's right before the oh. holidays. So every day, every, every year, you know, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. I'm sure you're like this with your dad. You're like, I'm good. I'm good. And then, and I said, grief, grief is such an interesting thing. A lot of my callers call in about this on radio, Andy. And it was one of the things that on the show, I had no idea when Carol and I went away would have such an impact on people because, you know, as you know, again, it's not a, people are uncomfortable talking about grief and death and that process. They just, you be, you know, you were like the scarlet letter for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, they're awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're not awkward, but you, it's this private club you join, you know, that no one wants to be part of. But, um, you know, I, I always say that grief is something, and it's so funny because I'm going to tell you a funny thing and you can cut it out. But I don't know if you watch the new sex in the city, but I, but I put my book, I have it. I had to pull it up. And it, that grief isn't something that goes away, it's just that you grow bigger than it. Mm-hmm. And you get new friends and a new life and you have new experiences and, you know, but it never really goes away. Right. So, and I personally, I probably because I was raised, you know, with so much spiritualism and I am a Catholic, but not as much a practicing Catholic as I am just a religious person that really feels close to, you know, God and all that and couldn't have gotten through it without it. I have had to place them in a different place. And I, I hope, I, it's so funny. I was putting up a Christmas tree with all those Christmas ornaments Richard and I had bought when we had traveled and stuff. And I, 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 I talked to him and I do have that moment where I'm like, you know, now that it's been 12 years, I don't have the moment as much as, of course, you always feel about, ah, but I, I have more of a moment. Like, I wonder what Richard would think of me today. Uh-huh. Like, would Richard know who I am? Like, Richard wouldn't even know my friends. Like, Richard wouldn't know my life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that makes me sad that this person that I literally thought that I would have such a long journey with, who knows if Richard Methy would even date me now? <laughs> of course he would. A reality <laughs> star, right? Uh-huh. You just, so that's what I miss. He's missed so, I feel bad, like, that he's missed so many events as, you know, children, children getting married and children coming in and Hannah, you know, Hannah's at Harvard getting her PhD and... And, you know, he's so Hannah is at Harvard I, getting her PhD. That's incredible. Yeah. I know. That's Hannah's her daughter. <laughs> Sorry. And, and you know, I I credit not only Hannah's father, but I credit Richard to them all being, especially Hannah, because Richard was a huge academic. He taught at Yale. He had his PhD from Yale. He um, you know, she'd go to the council with him at formulations and sit and listen to him talk and go to, and he, she was very much engaged because I'm a bit ADD. So, you know, but Hannah would be like, can you read my paper? I'd be like, do I have to? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We just do something more fun. Like go to Bergdorf's and have lunch. Uh, that's me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. So Richard was that great counterpart that had that patience for her and really um, pulled her into academia 
in a way that I couldn't give her that gift, you know, and she's, she's studying the classics in which it was a huge uh, political analyst and a philosopher by mm-hmm. teaching. So it was, you know, she really, I think was part of that journey. It was, I almost think with a heavy heart, it was all meant to be as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I feel that way too, that like life definitely unfolds as it should. Um, you know, you were talking about, but you know, politics and, you know, your involvement. And I remember watching you on the housewives and you talking about, you know, just your like love for Hillary Clinton. And I too know Hillary Clinton personally and have always found her just to be such a warm, lovely person. And she was stereotyped very negatively by the press. Um, are you still friends with her? Um, and is there anyone you like in politics right now, the way you liked Hillary Clinton? No was the answer. Oh, because I thought that 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 time in my life and when Richard was part of it, it was very much more of a bipartisan kind of uh, world. So you know, you never knew who was sitting at your table. And Richard was such a was so open to all opinions because back then, you know, everybody, everybody, it wasn't so bifurcated. It wasn't like, oh my God, you can't take this person's opinion. Richard was very open and very friends with many people from both sides. So was people like Hillary and stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. you could have Lisa Rice, you could have this one, you could have that one, you could have everyone sitting at a table and it was okay because people were open much more to a discussion, much more of a learning curve. I I just don't feel like I learned from politics as much as I did back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never it did the cast of characters that they were a cast of characters for me. I mean, I remember getting into a huge fight with Richard and Fred and Madeline Albright. And, <laughs> and, and <laughs> that's amazing. I was like, he just discredits me all the time. <laughs> I have been in it as long as him. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I'm sure <laughs> Madeline Albright took your side. <laughs> you know, he's a bit of a brute sometimes when it comes to he's a know-it-all. And when I look back at that period now, I just think because not only were these people politicians and making huge effects in the world that they were personable they were tangible they were real and they were like and when hillary was on andy cohen on watch i was live i went to that watch i was live you did and, yeah i did and i sat in the front row and she called me right out dorinda how you doing you know she was married to dick and i'm like i don't know that's that amazing kind of, that kind of you know, well, she's been in what my living room so many times. And, you know, there were such think tank moments with all of them, you know, back then, especially when they were, she was campaigning and stuff that I, 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 I don't relate that much to it. It, it, it scares me politics now. Mm-hmm. Well, it me frightens too. me. Me too. It frightens me. I really liked when you were talking about Hillary on the show, A, that you were open about it and fearless about it because some people get very, you know, precious about talking about politics. And I remember Andy asked you just a direct question about her and you were like, I love her. And I was like, I love that. I love anyone who's like, I love this candidate. They're my candidate, the end, and sort of doesn't vacillate. So, um, you know, I I don't know. I just, there's something about it that I always found very warm. But thank you for sharing that story. I love that you got in a fight in front of <laughs> Madeline Albright. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about just like. And that your... took her to my shoe closet. You I'm did? Like, you want to see my shoe closet? She's like, and I have a picture actually in the billiard room of it. Just see what I, you know, because he, he made some comment about, you know, my sh- Richard was not a mean person, but sometimes, he, you know, men, they totally. would say things that I would take as sensitive, right? Ben says, ben says stuff about my shoes too. So it's fine. Yeah. My husband. <laughs> yes. 
Um, yeah, I want to ask you just about like your life right this moment because again, okay. you're doing um, Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Legacy, and you did um, you know Girls Trip uh, at the Berkshires, and you've made a lot of really iconic television. Your household name, everybody recognizes and knows you. Um, do you have any? When you look back at like this period of again being a reality full blown reality television star, what's like your favorite moment so far? And do you have any regrets? Yes, we all have regrets. Someone asked me that the other day in an interview. I said, "Where do I begin?" Um, you know, I, ca- I came into it. Uh, it was very interesting when I and I, I credit it to Ramona Singer. I don't care. You know, I got to give her credit. She came to me after Richard died and said, "We really now you got to join. You have to come for a season." Hannah's at college. You know, uh, Richard's now not with us and you, you, you're young and you'd be great on the show and you know everybody. And I went and it was the first time I remember when the cameras came on and thinking, hmm, I kind of like the cameras and the cameras like me. Like I took <laughs> to it like a fish to water. I never felt nervous. And I think it's because I knew all the girls. Right. And it, for the audience, it wasn't jarring to see me because they kind of like already had seen me and yes. scenes before. And um, I kind of just picked up with them. Um you know, when I went on, I was in, I wasn't in the best of shape, you know, I could just come off a lot of stuff. And, uh, I think what that ended up being good TV, I hate to say it. And I, you know, I wish that I had played it a little more safe at sometimes I hadn't been so vocal about mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because I'm a little less vocal on legacy. I still say it, but I, I definitely pulled back a lot of times, um, and I worried about that after I filmed it a bit because I just, you know, I thought, well, I have to be, I'm a little bit more evolved now and I'm not in, there's not a lot going on and like, not, no, there's not a lot, there's not, I'm not in that big transition as I was when I joined. Remember, that was a huge transitional time for me. Mm-hmm. Richard had just died like a year and a half before. Hannah went to college. I was kind of lost. Mm-hmm. I started dating this John who was yeah. fun and crazy and not like anything like Richard. How is he now, John? Because I really liked John on the show because he loved you so John much. John was great TV. I uh-huh. don't what you say. He was great TV. Completely. So John Modesti and he never shied away from the camera and he was a character and that's what's great about reality TV is the character. Totally. Are you still in touch with him? Yes, I am still. I mean, what I said at the table is the truth. I don't really get rid of people in my life, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So yes, and not as much, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we de- definitely touch base, and like you know, if I'm in the city, I'll like, do you want to grab something to eat? John's a, John's got a huge heart. Any man that listen, when I'm at a black tie, I watch very carefully. Any man that jumps on the dance floor right away as soon as the music starts, that is my man. <laughs> yes, that's my anybody that won't dance at a black tie. I'm like, I will never date you, and I will certainly never sleep with you. On Real Housewives <laughs> Girls Trip, and again, I don't want to give it give too much away on the Ultimate Girls Trip Legacy. One of the parts that made me laugh was they bring in like there's a bunch of really young guys that come in to you know hang out with you guys, and they're like in their 20s, which would be too young for me, and and you're like, you know what? I like an older man. Like, I like to take care of a man. <laughs> like, I need, like, someone in their 50s and above. And I was wondering, like, is it hard to date? Because you're so famous and, you know, you are on reality TV from time I don't to time. I'm so famous. I just, I you are, Dorinda. I don't know about that. But I think it's a hard. It's hard. Listen, I think it's hard to date for everyone. But it's especially hard to date when you get the people that know who you are. And also, too, you know, I just I'm not a great dater. Yeah. I'm a great married person. Oh, I feel like you'd be the best wife ever. 
You probably make you know, the I best. I like it all, and I just don't know how to. You know, I get too cozy too quickly, and I and I'm very very picky. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Luann and I sometimes Luann's like, well, darling, you know, just go and have a great one night stand, and <laughs> have a ball, darling. I'm like, well, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to move them into Bluestone Manor that weekend. <laughs> I'm married again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's so funny. I just funny. don't know how to do that. I'm not against it. Believe me, I've tried. Uh-huh. I just, you know, I'm. If you know anyone, Megan, please set me up. Oh, and, I'm going to be thinking about this for real. And also, too, you know, at this point. It's hard when you're this age and you've been, you know, you've been married twice and you've got, a, you know, all these things going on and you've had a little bit of success and you own things. Like, I I don't want a handbag. I don't want to marry. And I don't even want to get married again. I want like a new roof. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want good health care. Yes. <laughs> like, what's, who's yours, your provider? That's a good question. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting over cold, but like I, that is so I know, funny, it's so sad, right? Uh, that is hilarious. What's your health care? Like, I wouldn't marry a man that didn't have good health care. I swear to God, I say no, that doesn't work for me. Not in this next stage. Well, also, like it would be indicative of a lot of other problems that person would have. Yes. So I totally understand that. I think you'd be like the best wife to anyone ever, but I totally get that. I was always really bad at dating when I was single too, and it's just really hard. Um, I do want to know, like, who are your best friends on the housewife sphere? Like, are there any people you actually like see day to day or see, oh you know, God, with the... yes. okay, who? Oh, God, I see Luann all the time. I don't see Sonia that much, but Sonia doesn't see a lot of people off camera. Like that conversation we have is real. She's got always a lot going on. Um, I definitely see, I see Bromona. I see, um, who else is down there? I, I see, I see Kelly socially a lot. Cause Kelly, you know, there's a thing on the, um, there's a group of women that all seem to go to the same parties in New York. So mm-hmm. you all, I and the same men, it's like the fishbowl. You always know when you go to certain parties, the same 20 people are going to be there, which is sort of both com- comforting and horrific at the same time. You know what I mean? DC's like, like that too. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, I can't believe she's here. You know what I mean? Totally. And you do that. Oh, <laughs> oh my god absolutely i love you look great you know your new face look looks incredible you look funny <laughs> totally um but yes i see who else was on so it was um Kristen. Kristen, i don't see that much but i never knew Kristen well she seems to kind of have like a like an issue with you i didn't love it when i was yeah, watching well Kristen. Kristen was, I, listen, it's good TV. I think, you know, everybody, eagles don't fly with pigeons. So, you know, I think the pigeons so try to fly a little too high, right? So, so good. we had to flip. And listen, as I said to her at the time, and I said in interviews, you're going to see in the interviews, I admire her for trying. Everybody likes to pet the lion, right? But mm-hmm. just don't wake them up. Yes. Are there so any- That was a good try. Well done. But, you know, we had to, you know, but isn't that. I take it as a compliment because anyone that wants to go after the big dog have at it. Yeah. Even just, but you're so, you're such good TV. Even like I found your like crazy room that's again, I don't want to give too much away, but like that's all white, really entertaining. It was kind of like vaudeville. <laughs> like you're like opening doors, opening doors because you're in this like room that kind of looks like an insane asylum. I don't know. <laughs> like My room was like the Google. It truly was. Like I said, it was the Guggenheim <laughs> mixed with, I mean, I live in a world of cozy. Yes. That's my, but that, that should be my tagline. I live in a world of cozy. Ask Hannah. Hannah's like, I could make anything cozy. Okay. <laughs> That's my 411 in life. Okay. Cold, seamless. Yeah. Bizarre. 
you 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 could once you got in you couldn't get out all i needed was the twilight music then the worst part is after all that nightmare that you saw on you're going to see on the tv i couldn't find a plug to save my life <laughs> oh my gosh that room just looked really like i think why, i feel claustrophobic i said, I said in to it. martin the who's host why hide so much yeah like is this this is like the room of guess what you're not going to find your toilet you're not going to find your closet you're not going to find an outlet and don't you dare look for a tv <laughs> You're like, I keep trying to open the doors to try and find my clothes. I, can't, I don't know. I thought it was really funny when I was watching. How about trying to get out? Every day was the same thing. <laughs> that would make me... I don't think I could sleep in a room like that. Uh-huh. Um, when you go to BravoCon, are you friends with any of like other Bravo celebrities outside of the New We're York? We're all friends. You all know, friends. I'm a Bravo whisperer. I love Bravo, all the Bravo girls. I get along with... I could run the whole Bravo kind of... As as Tim, my friend, says at NBC, he said, you were like the social coordinator of the BravoCon <laughs> celebrities. I'm like, hello, everyone. Let's all gather in. That's gather wonderful. Gather in. Let's all tell our war stories. There's You really just like get along with everybody, don't have any. Yeah, pretty It's much. great. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I find That's... them all entertaining. And, you know, can I tell you something? It's almost as exciting as a fellow bravo person to meet another bravo person number one and number two truly it's like we've gone to war together and we have a dirty secret sure. so it's like you know you can't join this group unless you've had to go through what we've gone through so even like angie i met from salt lake city for the first time and yeah you know, she was it was funny because she was so tentative about coming she was like hi my name's i'm like i know who you are and we started to just tell him like, how was your first season what do you like what do you don't like and you know and then i was sitting i think with lala or someone and then she chimed in and then this one chimes in so before you know you're like don't worry i'm like don't worry girl you're gonna be fine just roll with the punches it's the nfl girl you got to go in there and kill eat to kill and then get out and relax and, re- and heal that's hilarious. Eat to kill and then relax. Um, do you um have any like? Do you watch the new reboot at all? I watched it. I as I said offline, I really I don't think it was for me. I really miss the old school women. I really like. I'm really connected to people like you and characters I've been watching for a long time. And honestly, it's just too much bandwidth to start over. And I'm older than some of the housewives, which is very weird for me. It just yeah. is. The answer is no. I didn't really watch it, and that's not a fake answer. You know me; I don't tell a lie. Like when they let me, when they let me go from uh, housewives, they all wanted me to make one of those statements. Like for now, I'm dead. I've decided to. I'm like, no. I just got on the. They got rid of me. Yeah, let's just keep it moving. Uh-huh. And yes. that's fine. I'm mm-hmm. not taking it personally, but let's tell it like it is. I didn't watch it partly because. You know, I don't want to. I, I don't want to see it. Kind of just heartbreaking, right? Mm-hmm. It is, and um, I, I don't know. I just, but they they seem like nice girls. I watched a little bit of the first episode. I just couldn't get into it. You know what I mean? Because I know all the other. I know my girls. Yeah. Well, it's just so nothing personal. Not like this. I just like like what? You know what I mean? Like I'm just so used to seeing us. Yeah, it's not, I don't think, I'm not, you know, throwing shade or being, you know, trying to be rude or anything. I just, when you dedicate, I have been watching The Real Housewives of New York, like, since I was in college. I mean, it's like a really long time. And I think when you've been through so much, and it's so interesting to see, like, I think it's why people, yeah, and I think when people's lives sort of have, when you have the same experiences, like, I just asked you about grief, that like, a person who's on television, that's a real person, which is why I think people, you know, 
publications like Variety are just holding events for reality stars because I think there's finally an understanding of how important reality television is in our lexicon and in pop in culture. the same way soap operas were. Totally. So, I, again, it's just not fraught for me. Is there any hope of having a full-blown New York legacy comeback? Because I think me and the fans uh, would love you that. Know, not, listen, I know that people always think we know more than we know. We don't. I think that what I will say and like it or not, here it comes. I think that the audience would love to see the legacy girls back in New York. I feel bad they called it legacy. I don't like that word. Mm -hmm. I don't like the way they pigeonholed us into that. I don't. Sure. I mean, I love the fact that we're back on, but I think it's, you know, it's a little too, I think a lot of these girls have a lot of bandwidth left in them. Is it because it implies that it's like older? Well, that's what I guess. But you look at a lot of the other franchises and they're not calling it that. And a lot of the girls are all about this. There's a lot of other franchises with girls our age that are continuing on. Um, You know, I think that they the audience would love to see us in New York at some point. And I don't you know, is there a world, uh, you know, Sonia was saying the other day in an interview, is there a world where they could mix us up together? Wouldn't that be a fun thing to see? I don't know how they would take to us. You know, I I think the good thing about old New York girls, they take to, they can take to anything. They can you know they can film with sa- Satan if they have to. You know, because we come from that background, we're like throw them in. You know what I mean? There's a lot of crossover people too. Like I was just watching Beverly Hills, and Cynthia Bailey from Atlanta was on there. Um, is there anything like? Would you ever do like a crossover on any other show? I mean, you're like such a New Yorker. So I, 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 yes, yeah. And I'm always. I mean, I do a lot. I was just and you know, I I go to a lot of other filming and stuff. Yeah, I'm very amenable to all that. Um, I and I enjoy filming. Like I really, I know as crazy as I mean, Ultimate Girls Trip too was a huge success. And I'm going to finally say that with pride, but it really was. And I haven't heard that once. It just, because you know why, not because of me, but because the Berkshires one. Yes. Everybody loves to see the housewives being housewives. They that was the greatest character in itself. Lends a character in herself. These people are coming to a place that the Bravo celebrities already treat like Disneyland. Yes. So let's see Vicky at Disneyland Bravo. Let's see what Tamara looks like in <laughs> Disneyland Bravo. And I think it was such a vision. And I think the fact that they showed Bluestone Manor in such a big, like no one ever saw it so expansively because they do such micro filming when they're here. No one got to see the grounds and got to see the stuff that, yeah, I, I you know, I think, I think that they should bring all the new girls up to the Berkshires. Have Luann stay in the fish room and pop out and be like, hello, darlings. I would, I would watch that like all, I would watch every single minute of that. Yes. I actually also am for just doing like a Berkshire show, like where different like reality stars and even like celebrities come to you. I have to say when that show aired, I actually, I had had a miscarriage and I was pregnant with my second daughter and I had to stay like sort of not, not bedridden, but I couldn't travel and I was like sort of stuck in Arizona and that show saved my life because oh it was a wonderful distraction. It was so <laughs> oh, funny. That distraction so good. Like really. And I remember I actually wrote a column about it because it was so good. And I was like, this is what reality television should did. be. Yeah. So thank you for that show. Really. I mean, and again, this is why I always well, take it seriously. Great because you know what? The great thing about people like Phaedra and, and Tamara. Phaedra is a queen. A queen. A queen. And, and, and the mix that they chose 
but everybody was willing to do everything except for maybe Vicky. Vicky was always like, I don't want to do that. You know, but that's that's her role. So it kind of fit in, right? Yeah. Her complaining, her always feeling ill and, or whatever. She had to go to the hospital for something. But, you know, you could say to them, well, you know, I'm going to teach her. <laughs> like at one point, I was like, I, I bought trampolines. Let's all put on Dorover's clothes and do trampolines. They're like, okay. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And I think that should definitely what come back. What about fake snow? Wasn't that the best? I did that. The best. Everything about it is the best. I just have one last question for you because I don't want to take up your whole day. But you have bourbon now, Bluestone Manor bourbon. Tell I me about do. this. Where can I get it and what inspired this? You can get it on bluestonemanorbourbon.com. Um, we just came up with a limited edition for the holidays, which is the maple cast and the port cast. It's done super well. Um, why did I do it? You know, I did it. I was. I started. I, as you know, as housewives, we get offered five billion things. Okay, mm-hmm. they're like, we have a gold thong. We'd love for you to support <laughs> yeah. it. You know, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, every day it's like, and I just never wanted to be that housewife that came on. That and I never wanted that to be sort of. I came onto the season with, oh my god, I have a this, I have a that, and so I really never did it. And then when I was off the show, we had been talking about this bourbon because I always refer to this because we drink bourbon here late at night. We drink dark liquor late at night. Love that. I always have a funny thing about 11 o'clock. It's my dinner party split up into the, those who go to bed (laughs) and those who don't. I don't. (laughs) I always always say once I shut the doors to the blue rooms, I'll tell you your secrets. If you tell me mine and this is like, you know, Please invite like, me to do this. I would want yeah, to tell you, you tell me your secrets and I'll tell you mine. But everything, and I always do the same thing. My friend Greg Clay, I love that. I shut it. I say, now we're in the speakeasy part where no one says a word after this, no matter what happens. You know, no matter. And we always like the like stories that come out of it because that's where the real fun sides. And of course, it always. And I had gone to Jay Z's opening of I think it was like club 44 right before COVID and I remember they brought us to this private room downstairs and it were all these beautiful women drinking dark liquor and I thought that is sexy and powerful yes like I want to be part of that club like why is that part of the men's club this is like it was so sexy to me. So I can't, and I wanted something that wasn't so housewifey. I wanted something that was a standalone for Bluestone Manor because she's such a queen and she deserves something that's all hers. You know what I mean? And I worked on that bottle very hard. And I worked on the label very hard. I bought, I bought so many old Baccarat, uh, like old decanters and like, brought them to the people I work with um, Spirits Lab in, in Hudson Valley because I was like this is the look and it it does look like it belongs here. It looks like it belongs at a speakeasy and I put the little key I came up with the key because now you have a little bit of something from Bluestone Manor I wanted you to take it home and feel like you just had a little secret, a little piece of me like I always say when I'm at these signings and some fabulous man's like oh my god I'm going to take this home tonight and drink it I'm like yeah Think of me when the secrets start coming out. I love that. I'm going to have to get a case of this. This bottle, I'm going to send you some. (laughs) This bottle here makes you tell secrets. I love that so much. Dorinda Medley, again, you need no like introduction at all. Thank you so much for your time today. You really are such a wonderful person. I, I just you. adore you, Megan. I, I really do. I, I thank I adore you for you. all the years that you just met, you know, you supported me no matter what. And, you I know, love you. Don't say thank you, but it, it meant, it always means a lot to me and don't think it ever goes 
it's ever forgotten. I will say one more thing before I say goodbye. When I left The View, I was going through a very hard time. And you gave me some of the best advice anyone has ever given. And you said, women have intuition. We just do. And you need to trust yours. And something about you telling me that. And I know there was something on the show last night that you gave uh, advice to Kristen, too, after she was like had her scandal with her husband. You give really good advice. I personally, my suggestion to you is just do some kind of advice for people because you give the best advice. You're like my mother. Like I just you oh, give I the best that. advice. You do. And I love doing it. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that people trust me to let me do it. We do. Regina, well, I love thank you. you. Thank you. Um, I can't wait to see you soon. You too. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Bye. Okay, welcome back to Megan McCain has entered the chat with me, Megan McCain. We have a very exciting guest here. Uh, you really don't need any introduction, but Congressman Speaker Kevin McCarthy, former Speaker of the House, you have been in Congress 17 years. Yes. I just found that out yesterday. Thank you, first of all, so much for coming on. I need to say I'm more than aware you're only here because my sister-in-law, Emily, who's sitting right by me, works for you. <laughs> she came in and she asked. I she said, put yes, in. I'd be gladly to it. Yes. Thank you so much for taking time today. 17 years in Congress and 10 months as Speaker of the House, that's a really long time to be in Congress. And you just sadly announced you're retiring. I was sad to hear that. What do you feel like right now? What's your, what's your emotional state right now. And you've obviously been doing this well, for so long. You know, I mean, people come, I feel blessed. Think of this. Less than 13,000 people in the history of this country have ever had the privilege to represent, to, to be a member of Congress. I mean, if I only got to serve one term, I'd be so excited. And I always thought, you know, we come up, you see that capital, you just get the goosebumps, the opportunity and the challenge through. I mean, I just feel blessed that the, the ability that I had the opportunity to go through it. I loved every minute. I loved every challenge, whether they're ups or whether they're downs. It, to me, it was Loves worth it. Yeah. Is it bittersweet leaving, though, just because of change? And- well, look, I didn't pl- plan or want to leave. I wanted to carry out being speaker. It was because that I looked at, on a very serious point, if I was going to make the decision, and California has moved their primary up because of the presidential, so you were forced to make a decision sooner, December 8th. And... Um, I really want to know if I made that commitment. You're really not making a commitment for another two years. You're making a commitment for another three years. Finish this out and go for another. And am I willing to put 110%? i got to be honest with my constituents. I'm in. I'm all in. And the one thing about me, when I'm in, I'm fully in. But I also had to look at, if I wasn't going to run, what would be best all the way around? And there's been a couple things in my head that publicly I probably haven't talked about or whatever. I happen to be 58 years old. And it doesn't matter to anybody else in the world. But what matters to me is that's the age my father died from cancer. Wow. And so um, it's it's always been on my mind. Um, and I've, I've always said what I do in Congress is not going to define my whole life, right? I've always felt that I would do something else. Because I look around, you think, 17 years, that's a really long time. But I look at Nancy Pelosi, it's not even half the amount <laughs> of time she serves, right? And I didn't want to be a person that dies in this job. Well, I was going to interject. You're 58, which, you know, is 58, but most people in Congress are like 110. <laughs> so you're very young for Congress. You know, it's interesting. When, when I was um, campaigning last time, I would compare the Republican leadership with the Democratic leadership. And if you looked at the Democratic leadership, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, and Clyburn, and you added up their age, they were older than the country. Oh my God. And so my, my point was, it's, it's the same part. Well, if you're going to do the job, be 100%. And I just came to the point that 
I've been I've been fortunate. I've been the member. I've been the deputy whip. I've been the whip. I've been the majority leader. I've been the leader, and I've been the speaker. So where's best to help? Where where do I fit in? Where where do I provide? And I really looked. I've been able to be a part of two majorities. And you think about in the last seventy years, Republicans only won the majority three times. Have we ever flipped it? I've got to be a part of both of those. I got to be a part of a lot of different. So I just thought this is probably the best time to turn the page. Let somebody else do it, and. I can still help. I mean, I think about it. I have been the only leader that I know of in modern history. I've never lost as leader. Mm-hmm. We've gone two, only one. And what's interesting, when I became leader, Nancy Pelosi became speaker. And we're both from California. And in those two election cycles, Nancy Pelosi never won one seat in California. She actually lost five. Mm-hmm. It was the first time we flipped Democrat seat to Republican in California since 1990. We did it in L.A. Mm-hmm. We've won five in New York. And I tell this story, and I've watched on Twitter where they are criticizing me because they took this clip but didn't play it all the way through. That's never happened to you, right? (laughs) It happens like every day. (laughs) It was a turning point. I became leader after we lost the majority, become minority leader, right, Uh, after being majority leader. And I go down to the State of the Union, and I made this point. We were 98% white male, but um, in State of the Union, one side stands and the other side stands. When the Democrats stood, they looked like America, and we looked like the most restrictive country club. And that's the clip they take from me. What they don't take is what that did to me. I realized then I'm either going to be the leader of a declining party or we have to open this party up in places that we assume we can't win or we think we can't win with people we think who wouldn't want to be a Republican. And that's the wrong idea and mindset. So I started staking out... And I would recruit, and I would go to people who've probably never thought about it. But you know what's happened in those two cycles that all we did was win? But you have to realize, in those two cycles, all the other Republicans lost. The senators, they lost both cycles. The president, we lost. The governors, they lost. The legislature, they lost. We only gained, and we elected the most women, the most minorities, the most black Republicans since Reconstruction. I mean, when I look at a Juan Siscomani, you're very familiar with Arizona. Mm-hmm. Republicans lost. They they had everything from governors to senators all the way down. Now we have no senators. It's a bloodbath now. Yeah. But you know where we did pick up? Juan Siscomani. Mm-hmm. Beat a Democrat seat, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a man who immigrates at age 11 with his father. His father drives the bus in Tucson, you know, who just loves this country, who 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 was sworn in as a citizen. He knows the value of that. And he, he's just – I've always looked to – I want people who understand their principles, and if they truly believe that their principles bring people more freedom, they should be happy. There's not a reason that we're angry conservatives. We should be happy conservatives that bring more people to the party. You're like um, Lori Chavez, dreamer in Oregon. We've been trying to win the seat there for 30 years. Or you look at John James, you know. I love him. I do, too. Mm-hmm. I recruited him for six years. <laughs> I love him. He ran for a lot of things beforehand. And now he, he is fabulous. Yeah. You know? He's very Serve smart. At West Point and come through. But what I'm saying is we've elected the most women. That was a turning point. They just try to take that clip, but they don't, they don't play it through what happened because of that moment. The party is bigger. So I looked at this moment in time. Am I leaving the party in a better place than I got it? Yes. Well, I want to ask you about you have – been very amazing with the press. You did a lot of press conferences, very open. I appreciate that in a politician. Um, but there is a flip side to that. I always feel like when you're really open with the press, they can, you know, screw you too. Like you're saying with that clip. 
Do you have any regrets about being so open with the press as opposed to the way a lot of other politicians have done it? And who do you think has been the most fair covering Congress and covering Republicans and who's been the least fair? You know, you know, it's interesting. There's an, another point is I could have been speaker before when we were in the Republican, uh, when we were in the majority and I stumbled by the press on a Fox show. And so I had to pull back. So I had can to go, you remind me what happened? I was on Hannity, and it, it was it was a reference that look, <laughs> I never finish my sentences completely. I usually skip every third word. I'm always thinking <laughs> something else, but um, it, it is what it is. And you know, I go to speech lessons, speech classes for six years when I was a child, so <laughs> I got a lot of problems. But it was in about Benghazi and and um, Hillary Clinton, and it came out to mean something different than I was saying. So I pulled back, and we had to go in the minority. But it was, to me, sweeter that I was able to become speaker, but I had to go win it, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't handed to you. So, But the one thing I learned with the press, I really did more of the press becoming speaker because I wanted to change what has happened because everybody thinks Washington is broken, but it got worse than ever before. You know, with the pandemic and with January 6th, you had to go through magnetometers. You'd be fined $5,000. Members didn't have to show up. They could vote proxies. Bills didn't have to go through committee. Everybody hated each other. Nobody was doing anything. So I'm a firm believer that structure dictates behavior. So once we come into the majority, I take the magnetometers. People have to show up for work. I'm trying to treat Hakeem the way I wanted to be treated, the Democratic leader. Trying to rebuild this. I bring movie night in. I mean, people see something together. But You had movie night? Yeah. With members of Congress? Mm-hmm. That well, sounds like a blast. Why wasn't I involved? <laughs> in well, you, know, you know what I do? On movie night, I wanted you to, a member could come and can invite somebody. You know why? Because they invite somebody that really matters to them in their district and they behave better. And then my first movie I showed was Lincoln, and there's a purpose for it, right? So first, before you see the movie, I'd have you come and you can get something to eat or others. And the Library of Congress would bring all these artifacts on Lincoln. They have this one box of everything in his pocket the night he was killed. Then I brought Doris Goodwin in. She's not a Republican, but she wrote Team of Rivals. And we interview her before you see the movie. And then if you've ever watched the movie, and I'm a big Lincoln fan, right? But Shocked. <laughs> <laughs> but what Lincoln, when, when you see the movie, it's all about the 13th Amendment. He's literally slowing down the end of the Civil War to get a bill, to get the 13th Amendment passed so everyone's treated equally, right? Because he weird where it's going. And the challenge, you had to get people on the other side. But never in the history that I know of did you ever see that movie by members of Congress in the building the vote took place. So the idea is to show people being to a higher cause, right, and, and get us in a different attitude. But we were going to go through the debt ceiling. And the one thing I learned from Biden is he can't talk to the press. You cannot, At all. You cannot guarantee he could talk to it any time. And I thought, how am I going to get my message out? Now, before I'd go to the press conferences, I'd get beat up, but you, you have to – it's a rough business. you got to hold your own. But what I found is they started hanging out in front of my office as speaker. So every time I walked to the floor, I would hold a press conference. And then when they put the cameras up, anybody going live, I would go and let them interview me live because they can't clip me. And I decided I'm going to have to get the message to the American public if we're ever going to win this argument because they didn't even want to meet with me. So every day for 97 days, I thought, let's sit down. Let's solve this problem. And it, it beneficial long term. Who's the most fair? You know, it's interesting. I, I changed my opinion on some people. I thought, I will tell you, Manu with CNN mm -hmm. 
I was frustrated with him when I was minority leader. It was always Trump. And it, it didn't matter what. It, it was like the old Groucho Marx, you know, word of the day. Sure. But you know what? As speaker, he was tough on me, but he was fair. Monty Roger, okay, CNN. He was fair, yeah. Okay, I like him, but I don't. He's not chasing me every day, so <laughs> I don't know. I have to ask you, and again, this is answer what you want, and don't say you don't have to respond because okay. again, I'm a little more off the cuff than probably the average political interview you're doing. I always liked you, and I thought what happened to you was really disgraceful. I never understood. I agree with you 100%. Thank you so much. I never understood the vacate, this vote to vacate to vote. I, I, excuse me, vote to vacate, excuse me. Motion to vacate. Motion to vacate. And I always thought you were trying, again, this is outside. And again, I'm a little biased because my sister-in-law works with you, but I always thought you were trying really hard to unite both sides of the party. People that don't like Trump like me and then MAGA people, which is like, I have to live with the fact that this is a party that's filled with people that love Trump. And I didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. And in this period of time, I have come to really become very angry and resentful towards people like Nancy Mace and Matt Gates because I feel like they think that this is just their world and their party that I'm in. And I did a little digging on Nancy Mace, if you don't mind. Okay, because I have a particular interest in this. And my understanding is... She would never have been elected to Congress without your help and often complained about conservative policies, but then claimed that her vote to motion to vacate was because you, quote, weren't conservative enough, which is hilarious, and, quote, women's issues. As a card-carrying woman, I would just like to say women's issues for me are the economy, the debt ceiling. It's not just things having to do with, I believe, the morning after pill. And when the last bill that you passed as speaker was actually her bill that focused on job training that she named after herself. She also accused you of being a product of the swamp when she was in present fundraising pitches from inside the Cannon office building, which is actually an ethics violation. I can't stand her, and I think she's hurting Washington, D.C. Again, you don't have to – you don't say whatever you want. But people – it looks to me like she just wants media attention. She just wants clicks. How does the next speaker govern with people like her and Matt Gates that look like they are just more interested in chaos and getting on social media and getting on TV than actually helping the party and, as you were talking about before, expanding it in places where we aren't? Well, the challenge here is – People will sit back, especially people in business, like, why don't you just fire somebody? Somebody else hires these people and somebody else fires them. You just have to inspire them. I knew I'd have a tough time when we had a small majority. There were a few people who never even voted for me. Matt Gates never voted for me. It is true I engaged in uh, in helping Nancy Mace win from the primary on through, and I spent somewhere to 5 to $6 million to help her. But everybody has their own opinion. The motion to vacate is something speakers have had for hundreds of years. It only changed with Nancy Pelosi, and but it's the reason why Boehner had to leave. And it's interesting that Democrats don't said they never believed in it for the institution. Like Nancy Pelosi would always say to Paul and to Boehner and to myself, you know, we will always vote to table that. The challenge was that when it came up for me, they decided I'm too much of the money of why we win the majority, and I've only won that they decided to get rid of us. So. Eight people, eight Republicans, 4% of our conference decided what's happening to the party today. And I think that's wrong, but it's really driven by one person has to make the motion. And I think history will show in the end, Matt Gates did it for one reason. He's got an ethics complaint that is probably more serious than anything Santos had, and he didn't want it to come to life, but it has nothing to do with me. It was, it was put in a Congress before. 
I can't do anything about it. It's pretty serious, right? It's about like underage sex trafficking or something, correct? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's all this. And look, history will play it out. Um, I give as good as I get. I know where I, I know where I, the challenge I was under. And I just try to make things better. But my advice to the next speaker, don't be fearful. Don't let a handful, like think about why they threw me out. These eight people voted, took a motion to vacate when I kept the government open. Yeah. When I paid our troops, when war was breaking out. Now, I would do that exact same thing again because everybody before they run wants to believe you would do the right thing when that situation comes. But they're tough. They're tough situations when they come. And sitting as speaker in that conference, watching everybody fight, I knew at the end of the day I've been through shutdowns and I, I knew where the world was at and I decided I'm not going to do it. So when, when I decided to put the bill on the floor, I didn't think it was going to pass, but I was going to take a stand. And I walked out to the press and I told them, look, we have to have an adult in the room. Yeah. And I'm not going to look the troops in the eye and say, you're going to question whether you're going to be, be able to make your house payment or your car payment while we ask you to be out on an aircraft carrier defending us. I, I'm just not going to do that. And it's going to cost us more money if we shut down. And so once I did that vote, I went up to my office and Patrick McHenry came in and he sat on the couch next to me. He got really quiet for a while. And he looked at me and he said, um, maybe I can negotiate where you could stay to the end of the year because everybody thought it was just going to fail. Well, it caught the Democrats by surprise and it shouldn't because I told Hakeem beforehand that, look, I'd rather keep the government open. And once we got that through, it was shocking to kind of Washington that we were able to do that. And think about it. Come to the debt ceiling right now. We're dealing in a continuing resolution. We're spending more money than if we lived up to the number we got in the debt ceiling. And there were some in there who didn't want to vote for it. But think this for one moment. It's the largest cut ever voted in American history, $2 trillion. And we got Democrats to vote for that. Now, I don't know what deal they think they would get, but if you look back to when Republicans had the White House, the Senate, and the House, you know what they did when you went up against the debt ceiling? They increased spending. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of the biggest victories in the process. So it really comes down to you had some people, but the Democrats all joined in, which I think long term is bad for the House and voting for that. And uh, But I think the rest that sit back and look why was Matt Gates behind this? I mean, why was Matt Gates so worried about Santos being removed? He never defended Santos, but he argued the point that you should not remove somebody from the House if they haven't been convicted. Mm-hmm. It's interesting why he's concerned about that. I think it's very interesting why he's concerned about that, too. I really appreciate everything that you're saying and all the accomplishments you did. And like I said, I'd never, I never understood it. I can remember calling Emily during the middle of all of it and being like, this is just, it feels just like chaos. And I feel like this is also helping our enemies and helping the narrative on the left that Republicans just can't organize themselves. So like my question for you is just, I don't want to live in a reality television show. And I don't know what to do with people like Matt Gates and Nancy Mace who seem to have this power. And like you said, less than 4%. What is an average person like me looking at this who loves, you know, I still am a Republican and want it to succeed. Like, I feel like I don't have control over this. And then at the same time, you have someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene who seems like absolutely despondent that you're leaving. And she's someone who, you know, I don't agree with on almost anything. So how can she see? You're never going to get somebody... To agree with you 100% of the time, Mm -hmm. right? But the thing you want to have is a structure that people are able to have their voice. And our government's designed that you have to have compromise. 
but you can compromise without ever compromising your principles. Yeah. And so what I watched is we laid out to the American public a commitment to America. We said, if you put us in the majority, this is what we will do. And think about that. We passed H.R. 1, was our promise, mm-hmm. make us energy independent. We passed H.R. 2, our border security bill. Do you realize when we had majorities at 27, we couldn't pass that bill? I mean, we achieved things. We said we would be able to get the appropriation bills through. We passed some that we've never, ever voted on since I've been in Congress, right? We didn't get them all done because we had to do the debt ceiling first. So it's interesting that I just think more people should be engaged to know literally what's going on and don't just take a tweet to know what's happening. The idea should win at the end of the day. And I think it, I think overall people will see what it is because I'd, I'd raise this issue to you. What has Congress done since I've been removed? We've been in chaos since Nothing. Then, right? And now we're doing privilege motions. We're doing these other things. That's not based upon me, but it's based upon we. 4% of this conference or 6% of this conference is breaking down our majority mm-hmm. on whether we can – what have we passed with just a simple majority anymore? And we – from getting energy independent, border security, parents' bill of rights when it comes to education, when D.C. wanted to decriminalize – no one stood up from the last 30 years. We did it. We ended the pandemic in legislation, what they said they would never sign. We protected our military. They didn't have to take the vaccine if they didn't think about it anymore. I mean, roll after roll after roll, we, we accomplished. And if you look to the Senate, what did the Senate ever send us? Nothing, right? And now we're sitting here in, in, this, in this flex, but we're waiting on the Senate to negotiate. I've always believed, look, I like to play sports. I'm not the best at it. But if, if I'm going to be on the field... I want to lead, and we want to lead it, right? And we're the only entity that has a Republican majority, but a Democrat majority is the Senate, and we're going to let them negotiate, border, decide what we're going to do in the future. We've got a world at war that looks like the 1930s. We've got from FAA, we've got FISA coming up. How do we, how do we protect Americans who are held hostage, but how do we protect American citizens that they're not being spied upon? We can do all that, but we need to lead why we do it instead of fight about this other stuff. What are you most proud of during your time in Congress, and what's your biggest regret? There's so many things to be proud of. And, you know, a lot of people, you, you can look to look, doing water legislation in California is very difficult. I did I did a bill with Dianne Feinstein in the Senate that Boxer got so mad at and voted, <laughs> fought against in the last moment, but it hadn't been done in 25 years. But I tell you a story, because you vote on a lot of different things, but this guy, E.T., E.T. was in my district, and he, and he landed in um, Normandy, and he was a he was a flamethrower, and they couldn't get all the way to the landing spot, so they had to jump out of the water before, and um, and he um, he was sinking, so he had to take the flamethrower off. Gets on the beach, he fights, gets over for a number of day, he fights, then he gets wounded, gets sent to London, gets back in, and he holds his twenty first birthday at the Battle of the Bulge. And so I could vote on everything else. I helped get his medals, right? And he comes and tells this story. And I'm looking at his family saying, this is remarkable. I never ever told the story. But he became my friend. We'd go get him subways, right? He, he lived in a trailer, and he thought it was a palace. Mm-hmm. He understood that America was more than a country. America was an idea. And of all the big things I go, helping somebody like that, that, Sacrifice. He never thought he was a hero. He thought everyone who didn't come back. And the things he would tell me, the things he would say, and I could accomplish a lot, but the look on his face that finally provided him the medals, 
of the freedom that he provided for the rest of us. And I look at our generation. That, that was the greatest generation. But when I think about it is that's our DNA. Mm-hmm. We have to brush this off. We have to find the DNA that developed that generation that's instilled in us. And so, yeah, there's going to be adversities, but I think that's what makes you better, right? What's your favorite memory? My favorite memory? And then your least favorite. <laughs> I kind of, you know what? I love- Did you meet anybody cool? Like, Well, you, you always get an opportunity. That, that, that's the interesting part being a member of Congress, people return your phone calls. You get an opportunity to go in to, to see different people. I still think just the things you can do for your constituents that they have fought for so hard. And, and it's life or death for them, right? I, I had a friend call me and said, I didn't even know the constituent, but he, he had lived in my district. And he said, look, I went to school with her. She has a daughter that has um, brain cancer. And she was supposed to go up and have surgery. And uh, the insurance company said, they wouldn't do it. Oh, God. And I could, awful. And I picked up the phone, and she had the surgery, and she's alive today. Oh, that's wonderful. The power that you can have utilizing, you know? And it should be done in so many different ways, right? That, that, that you could break some barriers. It, it's unfortunate that these barriers are there. They need to be knocked down. I mean, when you think of AI, we can knock all those down for people, right? Why on Uber can you select a driver, rate a driver, and pay and the VA not have the same technology? Mm-hmm. Why can't our vets just set our appointments that way, have their medical records, rate their doctor? You'd get better data. You'd get better service. Um, all that. I never had a bad day. Never had a bad day? No. I, 15 look, times voting for you wasn't a little stressful? <laughs> stressful, but not a bad day. I won okay. in the end. You did you, Okay, you want, <laughs> you, you want to know interesting, too. So Israel asked me to come over for the 75th anniversary of Israel and speak at the Knesset. So I went to Jordan. I went to Israel. Then I went to Egypt. Then I went to... Um, Italy. And when we, I took a code, I took a group of members with us, bipartisan. When we went, went in to see Assisi, the president of Egypt, you know the first thing he said? Mm-mm. I watched all 15 rounds. That's what he said? Yes. Oh my gosh. But you know what? What, what happens in America matters. Yes. But you know what they loved? They loved the grit that we didn't quit. Yeah. And yeah. I, I hope you watch. You know, the hardest part is to keep a smile on your face. Yeah. Because I could watch Gates getting up there lying from the same time, too. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think that, you know, it's it's interesting because your place in, you know, political history is a very unique one. And people keep using, I know you're on Twitter, and I know you read the Daily Mail, which I always like the, both things about you. I love Daily Mail. I love that. And I love Daily the, Mail is the people magazine of today. It's so true. So true. And I also love that you actually use your Twitter account. I think it's important. I love when... Um, my friend who's a comedian, he goes, I just want my leaders to use email. Like, because, <laughs> you know, there's so many old people rotting in Congress, not to be, <laughs> whatever. But I did want to know, you know, of all the things, like, you're, you know, this moment that we're in feels so ugly and so scary. And a lot of people who listen to this podcast are women and, like, women in the middle of the country who aren't necessarily, like, that the, the politicos. What do you feel hopeful about going forward? And who are the people, instead of like the Matt Gates and Nancy Mason's, who are the people I should be looking for in like the next generation of leadership? Oh my God, we got so many. The Jen Kiggins of the world, you know, the Mike Lawler, the Lolitas, Lolitas. Um, if you look at young Kim, Michelle Steele, I mean, here's two women born in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at a Mike Garcia, he used to fly an F 18. And he sits in a district that is overwhelmingly Democrat. It's L.A. County. And um, would you ever have the 
the, the fear about running in a district like that with your beliefs, right? Or Ashley Henson in Iowa, right? Lori Chavez Dreamer, um, Juan Siscomani. I mean, there are so many extraordinary people. Julia Letlow or uh, Laurel Lee. They're not politicals, but... Are, I also don't know who a few of these people are, which means that they're probably doing their jobs because they're not focusing on grandstanding in front of the camera all day. That's the point. That's mm-hmm. the point that we want to see. You know, in today's world, and politics is different because it kind of really shifted in 08 where you now start having social media, right? So you can instantaneously, um, Instagram and others, you can raise money directly like that. And to raise money that way, you've got to get emotion for someone. So lots of times it's just attacking your own party, which is not productive in the manner. I don't mind having a debate of ideas, but this attack of these others... And we don't get news, we get opinion. So when you look across the country, there are so many extraordinary people that are willing to run. Morgan Luttrell. I, I just think of these people, and I get in awe that, to serve with them, and they're, they're willing to. And the founders created, and I, I made this quote the other day, I always say, I think the Senate, no disrespect to your, your father or anybody Sorry. else, the Senate is like a country club. And when you walk in there, there's really not any people around. It seems like it's a little nicer than in the house. They're both amazing. And the house is like going to eat at a truck stop. But that's what the founders designed it to be. We're a microcosm of society. We can flip the whole house in in one term in two years. The Senate takes time, and you serve there for six years and others. But it's supposed to be that way, and we're supposed to be that way. So if there's anybody out there listening, they can run. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can participate, and you don't have to have some special issue. What you all have to do is about is care about the country. I want to bring my sister-in-law in, if you don't mind. We can take a little. She break. is extraordinary, and, and the one thing I oh, will say, can you hear um, us? Yeah. Okay, good. The one thing I will say is that um, in some of our successes, especially when it comes to NEPA reform, where we could build things in America again, your sister has all all the successes of why we got that inside the dead sling and you talk about grit and never giving up because it was the last Wait. thing we got at the last moment for people who don't know your name's emily dominic <laughs> oh, <hi. laughs> sorry <laughs> yes i do want to ask you like what has it been like for both of you because again it's so rare you get to interview a staffer and you look i know you look tense right now you're press person <laughs> what has it been like just again this moment in time which so many people, I'm not a politician, obviously, but people approach me all the time just about just interviewing a real housewife who said, a politics right now, it's too scary for me. It's too intense for me. It's too ugly for me right now. I mean, that's how do you the bo- time you should be involved. Mm-hmm. You know, ne- okay. Really? For, okay. Whoever learned how to sail when it was clear water? Okay. You, you have a bigger input when it is chaotic. If you put in a sports analogy, you're not going to win when it's when someone's way ahead. This is the moment in time that people are craving leadership. This is the moment in time where people rise to the occasion. This is the Kipling, right? You keep your head while everybody else around is losing theirs. This is where I believe leaders are molded, right? If you look at a Stephanie Bice, right? Dusty Johnson. These people are legislators, and but at the same time, they're fighters, yeah, it, it's true. I mean, I think people forget that 
there are, are so many regular people from all over the country who come to work here. They only see the flashy people on TV. But there are people who show up every single day, who study what they do, who have issues they really care about, who, like Dusty Johnson's a great example of somebody who learned a lot about work requirements because he cares about it, because he knows people who went through and got assistance from the federal government, and he wants the system to work to bring people out of poverty. So his expertise matters way more than the people who, like, learn one sentence and go on TV. I mean, it, it, it helped us do our jobs so much better. And, and this is the thing you got to think about. When you brought up Matt Gates, so when yeah. Matt Gates came to Congress. I can't stand him. Well. <laughs> and again, you don't have to say whatever. What, what he wanted to achieve. I'm not a achieve, politician, so I so he, be like, you jerk. <laughs> he was sitting in a Florida delegation while they're going around. What can we do for you to help you? Like, why did you run? What in your district is your big issue? When it got to Matt Gates, he says, no, I, I want to be the TV congressman. They That's what of, he said? Yeah, and they all kind of laugh and said, no, no, what do you really want to be? No, I want to be the TV congressman. Then when he walked up and he met Mike Boss, Mike Boss is the chairman of the VA committee, great conservative. And Mike Boss was in the uh, Illinois legislature and how liberal they were. They had this big budget and Mike Boss got mad, threw the papers up and hit like that. And it became a viral moment, something he didn't crave to do. And when Gates first met him, Gates got so excited. He goes, you're that guy. You're that guy that got real famous. This has been his entire goal. So the thing people have to realize is Gates is not a conservative. If you talk to him on issues, he's not. He'll just tell you, no, I, I'm where it needs to be. If you, if you ask the issues that he, that he wanted to remove me for, three weeks before he was in the same position. It's whatever it takes to get on TV. Yeah. And the number one thing was he did not want whatever in ethics about him to come forward. So he thought if I could pressure Kevin, I'm not going to do anything about ethics. Ethics is an equal number of Republicans, Democrats. We got to be honest about let people carry that illegal for me to do something. Also, you're not a Biden. You're not going to get in the way of no. <laughs> justice. And then, it, it, then he wants to intimidate a new speaker and have it not come out this way. I mean, he went to Democrats to offer. He literally offered Democrats on the floor if they would vote to remove me, he would give them power over impeachment and other things. God, it just gets him more attention. It's like a HBO show. It, it is. Emily, what's your favorite memory working for? Um, lo- lots of good ones. I think, you know, always when you have honor flights come from the district is one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do. What is that? It's World War II veterans or Vietnam veterans or Korea- Korean War veterans who come and visit the Capitol as a large group. So some of them, it's the first time they ever get to come to the Capitol. They go to Arlington Cemetery. It's one of the coolest things. You get to hear so many stories and meet so many interesting individuals who We serve. bring them down onto the floor. Mm-hmm. You do? Oh, yeah. We yeah. take How them through the rotunda. It, it's a Fabulous. really cool thing. And, and most members of Congress do this. It's something that they do for the people from their district that a lot of people don't even know about. So there's moments like that that are really cool and you get to be part of this like historic institution. You get to walk into the rotunda and bring these people there for the first time. That's really cool. Uh, and then there's moments that only happen when you're in a leadership job where you get to negotiate about something big and you get to win at the end of the day. And those What's are your the, favorite win? Those are, I mean, certainly the debt limit stuff as as, as the speaker referenced, uh, we, we sort of had to fight till the very end on the issue I worked on and the debt limit, the permitting reform piece of the, the puzzle. And we had one moment where we were arguing over the phone with a with a guy from the White House, me and, and Garrett Gray is the congressman from Louisiana. And Kevin, we put the phone on mute and the speaker goes, yeah, I think you guys are going to get this because you know way more than him. And, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and I really can't get better than that. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. we'd go late into the night. I know. I'd be there. texting her and she's like, I'm still at work. And it's like 11 o'clock at night. And Staffers and She was going like four hours after that. It's amazing. Yeah. And then when we finally were able to achieve it, they backpedaled on it. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in the room that day, and they was like, oh, we're not going to get this. So then I just called the president directly. If, 
we don't get this, we're not going anywhere. And they even made more headway in it. And words matter in the bill. And and the one thing I'll say about Emily, I mean, she <laughs> follows through all the way through. And hold it up and make sure the word is correct because later you'll regret it mm-hmm. if you get it wrong. I have to ask you, it would be remiss if I didn't ask you, do you think Biden's going to lose coming up? Because I really do think Trump's yes. going to get, I think Trump's going to get reelected too. Look, if you look at, take the names out of it, okay? If you look at where the current leader in the Republican and Democrat, Biden is in a worse place of anybody running for re-election in modern history. Trump, the latest polls coming out of Iowa, is stronger than anybody's ever been in Iowa at this point in time as well. And I really think when it's you... It's like 70%. Oh, yeah. Right? When, you, when you come to a re-elect, it is a report card on uh, the job you have done. What can the Democrats run on? I mean, think about it. They promised us we'd have world peace. We've had five embassies we had to evacuate. We have war that we didn't have the other four years. When it comes to economics, he brought us inflation with all their runaway spending. you got a border that's wide open that I don't understand why he would continue this. It wasn't legislation, but it was just his administration. But he's allowing fentanyl to kill 300 Americans every single day and just ignore it. Horrible. He's got more people just in the month of February on the terrorist watch list come across that border than we had the entire administration before. You've got just a lack of leadership. And Biden's biggest problem he can't solve, it's his age. If America was decided it's going to be a company and we as citizens are going to decide who's going to run our company, is that who we're going to pick? Mm-hmm. Because I will tell you, as I travel the rest of the world, the other leaders ask me about it. It matters. There's a reason why other world leaders show themselves in a different place, not on a bicycle falling over, mm-hmm. not coming down the stairs and tripping, not knowing where you're at. That becomes a challenge. Well, can I ask you, this for me is just, I mean, it's not personal in the sense that like whatever, but it's personal in the sense that I too am a political Nepo baby. I find if I had done one one hundredth of what Hunter Biden had done and somehow, I mean, I never have in my life made the amount of money he's made doing God knows what. And I hadn't paid a million and a half dollars in taxes. I would not, I would just assume I'd be in jail. I really, this is me. I grew up in politics. I grew up around it. I really feel like there is a double standard for the Biden family right now than there is for my family, Emily, you, whatever. The whole country feels it. Think about, this is the other part. The world would have never known this had we not been in the majority, had we not pursued where they attacked us. Because the president told us he's never been involved in his business. His president, President Biden told us they never got money from the Chinese. President Biden's family got 16 out of 17 checks from Romania while he was vice president. They set up all these LLCs. I don't understand. I know it sounds really naive, but like. You know what else? How does it happen? Why anybody else being investigated by the IRS? Would the federal government let the statute of limitations run out? They will not allow that. You have to extend it, right? It wasn't until two IRS whistleblowers came to us that we wrote, we put the issue out there that a judge said no, and now he got indicted. When you ever went with your father to Cafe Milano, did you get a new Porsche the next day? First of all, my dad dollars? did not eat there. <laughs> Ask Emily. He was like a Chick-fil-A person. I hate that place. I, I like refuse to go there because I think it's like we're – bad things happen. For people that don't know, it's like a bougie DC restaurant that they Biden's go to all the time. But my last question for you was just on this. 
how bad is it? Because again, I, I only know what I read. And again, I'm not in politics in the way that obviously you are. Like, it feels really corrupt and it feels really dirty and it makes me feel very cynical. Do you anticipate this being a very big issue going forward, not just for Republicans? Yeah, in the I, next I think election? the whole country has to see. Why would the Biden family be afraid just to put it all out there? And think about this. This is all this information we found, these LLCs, nine families members getting the money. If he was such a brilliant person like his father believes he is, why wouldn't? why is it just people in China, Russia? Why, why aren't the French, Italians... In London hiring him, right? And why is he going on? He went on Burisma's board. And when he said his father had nothing to do with it, why are we now finding they used a pseudoname and talking about it? All this information, we're barely getting any of it. The reason you have to go to impeachment inquiry, which is not impeachment, is that in court, you can get the documents. We've never got the bank statements. We never got the statements from the credit cards that these LLCs have. All this money he made, and now it's just coming forward, and somehow we're out to get him? No. Any American who didn't pay his taxes, you listen to his father. You know, his whole thing is during the debt saying, we got to go over these, we got to go after these people who are not paying their taxes. Well, you can start there. And the things it's interesting to me is I would think you would want to clear your name if you thought there was nothing there. So put all the statements out there. Why fight us on it? I mean, I think probably because you have something to hide. Speaker McCarthy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. I know that you have many places to go and things to do, and I appreciate it. And Emily, I love you so much, and thank, <laughs> thank you, you for coming Is as she well. the favorite aunt? Oh, my gosh. She's yep. by far the favorite aunt. <laughs> Last night, she was at our house playing a NASA spaceship with, with our daughter, and yeah, they're obsessed with does her. Does she sing and play different she songs? Does every, Emily, people yeah. don't know Emily's a beautiful singer. The family's very talented. They're very talented, and I... If I sing, you guys would run out of here screaming and be like, stop. I, I have no talent in music whatsoever. But Emily, when I married Ben, my husband, and I first met Emily, I was like, I lucked out. I were very close. And yeah. I love you very much. Love and you. thank you. And I'm. I, this sounds corny. I'm very proud of you. And uh, right. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to me, Megan McCain. Here at Megan McCain has entered the chat. We will see you same time, same place on Thursday. Thanks for listening to this episode of Megan McCain has entered the chat brought to you by Teton Ridge. I am your host and executive producer, Megan McCain. Additional executive producers are Miranda Wilkins, Eric Spiegelman, and Wynn Weigel. Our supervising producer is Olivia DiCopolis. Our senior guest producer is Kara Kaplan and associate producer Austin Goodman.